millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. On June 24th, 1992, 41-year-old Gladys Wakabayash was found brutally murdered in her home in Vancouver's upscale Shaughnessy neighborhood. For those who knew the shy, petite mother, the shocking crime made no sense. Who would want her dead and why? Discovered by her ex-husband and 12-year-old daughter, it was a horrific scene. Gladys's throat had been cut and she had been slashed on her arms and legs. Defensive wounds on her hands also indicated she had tried to protect herself. The police had little to go on, but based on the violence of the attack, Gladys's murder appeared to be personal. Someone she knew wanted her dead. But whoever killed Gladys had left one clue behind, a bloodied partial print from a high-heeled shoe, a woman's shoe. It was a perplexing case. Gladys had no known enemies and was even good friends with her estranged husband. Homicide investigators knew they needed to delve further into Gladys's seemingly quiet life. And it wasn't long before they discovered that Gladys had a secret. A deadly secret that had likely gotten her killed. It turned out that Gladys was having an affair with a married man. The husband of her good friend, Jean Ann James. And Jean had discovered what was going on behind her back just days before Gladys was murdered. As far as the police were concerned, the scorned wife was the only person who had a motive for wanting Gladys Wakabayash dead. But with no forensic evidence linking her to the crime, investigators couldn't charge Jean Ann James with the murder of her husband's mistress. The case would go cold for 16 years until a controversial undercover police sting operation would finally elicit a cold-hearted confession from Gladys Wakabayash's killer. But would the videotaped confession hold up in a court of law? Or 
Would a Murderer Go Free? I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast series, I'm bringing you the true story of a shocking murder that would take years to solve. The police knew who had done it, but proving it would take extraordinary perseverance, patience, and a whole lot of luck. This is Deadly Secrets, Episode 2, Killer Confession. He was met with a horrific sight. She was cold to the touch. Murders can be notoriously difficult to solve, and police can spend years chasing down leads and frustrating dead ends. Sometimes the whodunit can be obvious from the get-go, but proving it can be a whole other seemingly insurmountable task. In 1992, the Vancouver police had a primary suspect in the murder of 41-year-old Gladys Wakabayash. Not long after the homicide, detectives had discovered a secret love affair between Gladys and a married man named Derek James. Gladys and her former husband, Shinji, had been friends with Derek and his wife, Jean, for several years. The couple's children attended the same Montessori school, and both husbands worked in the airline industry, as had Jean, who was a former stewardess. And while Gladys was the daughter of a Taiwanese billionaire and the James came from more humble beginnings, the two couples enjoyed dinner parties and social outings together. But the unlikely friendship changed when Gladys and Shinji decided to divorce in 1991. And while the James marriage was also on shaky ground, Jean was determined to hang on to her husband, even though she suspected he was having an affair. Jean followed him for months to try to catch him in the act and eventually discovered phone records that confirmed her suspicions. Derek James was having an affair, but it was with her good friend, Gladys Wakabayash. According to other friends she confided in, Jean was furious when she discovered the affair between her husband and close friend. How could Gladys betray her this way? And within days of uncovering the affair, Gladys was dead. Police had a strong suspect with a powerful motive, but the only forensic evidence left at the crime scene was a partial bloodied shoe print from a high-heeled shoe. A search of Jean's home and car failed to find a match to the shoe print or any other forensic evidence. And while her fingerprints had been found in the Wakabayash home, Jean admitted to detectives that she had been in the house many times, including just two days before the murder. After all, the two women were good friends. Vancouver Sun newspaper crime reporter Kim Bolin. There were sort of some bloody high-heeled footprints 
that were found at the crime scene. So they did think it was a woman right away, early on. But also, you know, Gladys was having uh, an affair, a relationship with Jean's husband. So, you know, that would have come out during the early investigation, which of course makes someone a suspect. Frustrated investigators knew they would never get a conviction without further evidence, and the case remained unsolved. Fifteen years later, in 2007, Vancouver cold case detectives re-examined the sparse evidence in the case using new DNA analysis. But still, nothing linked Jean Ann James directly to the murder scene. The police realized that without DNA evidence, they were going to have to take a much different approach to solving the murder. If they had any hope in arresting and charging Jean Ann James, they were going to need an actual confession. So they decided to employ a controversial undercover technique to fool the 68-year-old woman into revealing her deepest, darkest secret. By 2007, a new investigative approach was being utilized by police departments in unique cases. A covert sting operation known informally as Mr. Big. A Mr. Big operation would create a fictional friendship to lure a suspect into a fake criminal underworld. An experienced undercover operative would become the suspect's new best friend and would gradually confide their connection to a criminal enterprise. Calgary police officer Dave Sweet, who has participated in undercover operations as an investigator and an undercover operative. They should be done within the framework of things like heart, um, and they should be done responsibly because undercover operations are powerful tool in a police officer and investigator's toolbox to get them closer to a truthful account of what occurred with a particular crime. And they really act on the premise, and why they're so powerful is they act on the premise that we all have all understand, which is that as our relationships with people get closer, we share more information about ourselves. And that's essentially what an undercover operation does. It's the undercover police officer and the target share an existence together, um, and through that existence, they each share secrets onto the other. And what we're interested in is what those secrets are that are being shared to us by the target of that undercover operation, specifically as it relates to the investigation that's under underway. Once the subject is deeply enmeshed within the organization, he or she would be finally introduced to the crime boss, Mr. Big, either as a reward for work accomplished or as an interview for a better job within the organization. In a secretly videotaped meeting, Mr. Big would suggest that he needed details about the subject's prior crimes to prove their honesty and loyalty to his organization. If the suspect wanted to be a valued member of the crime syndicate 
and earn big money, he or she would have to confess all that they had done. And that was precisely the goal of the Mr. Big undercover operation initiated against Jean Ann James in January 2008. The police needed to fool Jean into believing that she could earn lots of money and respect within the criminal organization. She would be put through a series of fake setups that would test her willingness to commit illegal acts. Then, she would be presented with the opportunity to meet with the head of the crime syndicate, a.k.a. Mr. Big. In order to show her loyalty and gain the boss's trust, Jean would have to reveal evil truths about her past that she hadn't told anyone. And after a year-long covert operation in which Jean was wined and dined by undercover officers posing as hardened criminals, the suburban senior citizen played right into their trap. Sitting in a Montreal hotel room with Mr. Big and his unsavory companions, Jean Ann James was asked to reveal a secret she had kept hidden for over 16 years. And for the middle-class woman who had always yearned for a more extravagant lifestyle, it didn't take much for her to confess to the cold-blooded murder of her friend, Gladys Wakabayash. Without a single shred of remorse, the now 69-year-old confessed, almost boasted about fooling Gladys into thinking she had bought her a lovely gift. But instead of helping Gladys try on a necklace, Jean pulled out a box cutter and slit her throat. Then, to add further pain and suffering, Jean admitted to Mr. Big that she taunted the dying woman, slashing at her arms and legs and telling her she would call an ambulance if Gladys confessed to the affair with Jean's husband. Jean wanted details about the affair, and she tortured Gladys until she was dead. Not realizing she was being secretly videotaped, Jean also confessed to getting rid of all the evidence tied to the crime, including the murder weapon and her blood-splattered clothing. She stated that she threw the box cutter in a dumpster and burned all of her clothing in an incinerator at her son's school. She had no regrets about what she had done and assured her new boss that the police could never link her to the crime. But just two weeks later, on December 12, 2008, Jean Ann James was arrested at her home and charged with the 1992 murder of Gladys Wakabayash. The Jean Ann James murder trial began on October 12, 2011, three years after her arrest and 19 years after the vicious slaying of Gladys Wakabayash. For longtime friends and neighbors of Jean and Derek James, it was hard to believe that the kind and generous older woman they knew could be a murderer. She was a devoted animal lover and a keen gardener 
not a killer. Vancouver Sun crime reporter Kim Bolin covered the trial. Honestly, it was hard to reconcile the fact that, you know, this woman who looked like a housewife in Richmond, where she was from, uh, had been charged with such a brutal crime. Every day during the sensational murder trial, members of the public scrambled to get a seat in the packed courtroom. Others listened from the hallway through the open courtroom door. Jean, looking well-dressed and confident, sat quietly in the prisoner's box. Her lawyer, Raj Basra, kept his opening statements brief, saying the main issue would be the reliability of Jean's videotaped confession to Mr. Big. Having tried and failed to get the taped confession excluded from testimony, the defense lawyer knew his biggest challenge was getting the jury to focus on other aspects of the case. Basra asked the seated jurors to be critical about what they were about to hear and to keep an open mind about the case and the ultimate guilt of his client. Remember the presumption of innocence for the accused, he added. The main evidence, the key evidence, was the November 27, 2008, Mr. Big confession, where she was just very coolly laying out how she committed the crime. During her opening statement, Crown Prosecutor Jennifer Hornland told the court that Jean and James had gotten away with the murder of her friend Gladys Wakabayash for 16 years. But she had finally been caught when she confessed to the killing during an elaborate undercover sting operation conducted by the Vancouver police. Hornland advised the jury that when they watched Jean's videotaped confession, they would see and hear the accused boast about the killing to the supposed crime boss, saying that she planned everything once she learned that her husband was having an affair with the victim. You will hear her talk about how she cleverly fooled Mrs. Wakabayash into believing she had bought her a necklace, said the Crown Attorney. But instead, she put on gloves and slit her friend's throat. The prosecutor then advised the jury that she would be calling 33 witnesses to the stand, including several of Jean's friends, who would testify Jean had learned of Derek's affair with Gladys prior to the murder. This was a brutal slaying, added Hornland, and the Crown would prove that Jean Ann James was the only person with motive and enough hatred to murder Gladys Wakabayash. Motive was key to this killing, and the first witness to take the stand stated that initial observations of the crime scene indicated it was a crime of intense rage and hatred. Retired Vancouver homicide detective Larry Peters testified that when he arrived at the Wakabayash home on June 24, 1992, there was a massive amount of blood in the master bedroom dressing area and numerous slashes and gashes on the body of the victim, including a large wound to the neck. Gladys Wakabayash had bled to death. Larry Peter's partner, 
Detective Mern McLennan also described the scene as the most gruesome murder he had ever attended. Gladys was lying face up in a pool of blood beside an overturned chair. There were smudged, bloody footprints on the carpet and a clear, partial footprint on the bathroom's ceramic floor that looked like it had been made by a high-heeled shoe. Based on the shoe print, the police were certain a woman had been in the room when Gladys was killed. And the police theorized it had to have been someone who Gladys trusted enough to let into her bedroom. Nothing else in the house had been disturbed. On cross-examination, Jean's defense counsel asked the original investigating officers if they had ever considered other potential suspects, like Gladys's ex-husband, Shinji. Naturally, the police had investigated Shinji, but quickly determined that he and Gladys were on very good terms as friends and co-parents, and he had no reason to kill her. But Shinji had told the police that the couple's friend, Jean Ann James, had contacted him twice shortly after the murder, wanting to know details about Gladys's injuries, which he found odd. Other potential suspects that the defense suggested, like the Chinese mafia and the plumber who had worked in the Wakabayash home, were quickly discounted. There was simply no evidence that pointed to an alternate suspect other than the one who had actually confessed to the murder, Jean Ann James. But it was her supposed confession that the defense wanted the jury to ignore. Without the murder weapon or any other physical evidence linking Jean to the brutal slain, Jean's innocence or guilt rested heavily on the reliability of her confession to Mr. Big. The defense lawyer argued that the Mr. Big confession was elicited under duress as Jean felt pressured to please Mr. Big and appear worthy for membership into his criminal gang. She had made up the story of killing Gladys to gain his respect and approval. Jean wanted the lavish lifestyle the crime syndicate was offering, and according to her lawyer, she was even willing to lie about a murder to obtain it. Was it possible that a covert undercover operation, such as the Mr. Big Sting, could induce a false confession? The defense referred to other cases where this had happened. But ultimately, the jury would have to make up their own minds once they heard the secretly recorded tape. On Wednesday, October 26th, two weeks after the murder trial had begun, the jury was finally presented with Jean Ann James's videotaped confession that had been filmed in a Montreal hotel room three years earlier in 2008. Over the course of 90 minutes, the jury heard James talking to Mr. Big in what appeared to be a casual discussion about working for his crime syndicate. When told by the crime boss that things in their world could get pretty sporty, referring to the need for violence sometimes, Jean said she understood 
and was not afraid of violence. Then, when presented with Mr. Big wanting to know more about her involvement in the Gladys Wakabayash murder, Jean James barely missed a beat before confessing to the brutal killing and adding that Gladys deserved what she got. It was really something to see that videotape. At this point in time, she was an older woman, retirement age, and she's just coolly describing how almost 20 years earlier, she murdered a woman and didn't feel a little bit, you know, the least bit bad about it. But as damaging as the taped confession was, the defense team were prepared to challenge its validity. Jean's lawyer argued that on the tape, Jean did not reveal any additional information about the crime that hadn't been made public. Called holdback evidence, it is one of the best tools in an undercover operation. Information unknown to anyone but the suspect and the undercover officers on the sting. If the subject reveals the holdback evidence during their confession, it is a sure sign of their involvement in the crime. In telling Mr. Big about the murder, Jean had not revealed any holdback evidence. And in fact, her lawyer argued, some of the details she had relayed did not match the evidence at all. In her confession, Jean stated that she had not walked into the master bathroom after the murder, which contradicted the evidence found, a partial bloodied shoe print from what the police believed to be a high-heeled shoe. But Crown Counsel reminded the jury that the shoe impression was at the bathroom entrance, noting that if Jean started to go into the washroom and then backed away, it wasn't inconsistent with what she told the crime boss. And while the police never found a shoe belonging to Jean James that matched the impression left on the tile floor, the Crown contended that Mrs. James likely discarded the shoes along with all of the clothing she had worn on that day. The police had not searched the James home until 15 days after the murder, giving Jean plenty of time to get rid of any incriminating evidence. In her videotaped confession, Jean had also admitted to burning all of her clothing in the incinerator at her son's school. But it was later discovered that the school did not have an incinerator. According to the defense, this was further proof that Jean was just making up a story to impress the crime boss. The Crown contended that Mrs. James did likely embellish parts of her story to appear more criminally savvy to Mr. Big. Burning critical evidence tying her to the murder sounded smarter than just throwing bloodied clothing into a dumpster, which is likely what she did. The trial lasted just over four weeks. Throughout the hearing, Jean maintained a stoic front and chose not to testify in her own defense. She wasn't overly emotional at all. I would say she was kind of more clinical. She would talk to her lawyers when there was something in the evidence that I assumed they wanted to challenge. 
Uh, so you'd see her interact a little bit like that, but this was not a person who was at all emotional. In fact, I think we wrote after, uh, you know, the Crown laid its case on the opening day that she sat there not really reacting to it. On Thursday, November 3rd, 2011, lawyers for the Crown and defense made their closing arguments. Crown prosecutor Kerr Clark told the jury that Jean had motive for the brutal killing because she was filled with jealous rage over her friend's affair with her husband. Jealous rage and betrayal are a very good reason for someone to be very, very angry, Clark said. He pointed out there was evidence that Jean's husband Derek had engaged in previous affairs, but suggested Jean's rage was intensified by the fact Gladys was a friend rather than a stranger. One thing that's very clear is this was a very, very violent attack, he added. It's a crime that can only be committed by someone with extreme anger and resentment. He also noted that Jean's taped confession to Mr. Big was irrefutable evidence of her guilt. She did not waver in her story. And while there had been some discrepancies in her confession, it was obvious Jean had murdered Gladys and felt no remorse. Undercover officers had spent a year developing a relationship with Jean and it did not appear that she was intimidated or scared into making a false confession. The Crown attorney also pointed out that the RCMP had used the Mr. Big technique over 350 times since its inception with great success. Gene's lawyer focused his closing arguments on the videotaped confession, reminding the packed courtroom about the lack of physical evidence to incriminate his client. He told the jury that undercover police stings like the Mr. Big operation that targeted Jean are unreliable. I want to be clear, this is not a DNA case, said the defense lawyer. This is also not a fingerprint case. This is a false confession case, he added. He also reminded the jury that the undercover investigation leading up to the apparent confession lacked reliable safeguards, such as holdback evidence. Mrs. James' versions of events in that video recording is just not reliable, he said. It's not reliable because she did not do this crime, he contended before reminding the jury to consider all of the evidence they had heard during the four-week trial. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On Thursday, November 3rd, 2011, Justice Catherine Bruce summarized the defense and prosecution positions on the case and the witness testimonies. She reminded the jury about the inconsistencies in Jean's confession, as pointed out by her lawyers. There was no incinerator at the school her son attended in 1992, contrary to Mrs. James' statement that she had burned her clothes in an incinerator at that school. There was also a partial shoe print in the bathroom of the deceased's residence, but Jean Ann James told Mr. Big she did not go into the bathroom. Justice Bruce advised the jurors to review Jean's confession, secretly videotaped by the Mr. Big team of undercover officers, paying careful attention to Jean's behavior and the details of her claims. Bruce also urged jurors to be careful in their consideration of whether the evidence supported the Crown or defense versions of Gladys Wakabayashi's murder on June 24, 1992. Justice Bruce also reminded jurors that Jean's willingness to do illegal activities for the fake crime organization was not proof that she killed Gladys. It would be up to the jury to take in all the points raised during the trial and determine the innocence or guilt of the accused. 
on Friday, November 4, 2011. After deliberating for less than eight hours, the jury returned with their verdict. They found Jean Ann James guilty of first-degree murder in the brutal killing of Gladys Wakabayash in her home on June 24, 1992. Justice Bruce sentenced the 72-year-old woman to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. Jean Ann James showed no emotion. For Gladys Wakabayash's family, the guilty verdict was the bittersweet ending of a 19-year search for justice. Outside the courtroom, Gladys's sister-in-law, Susanna Yang, expressed the family's gratitude for the exhaustive work done by the police and prosecutors. Gladys's family, some of her relatives were there, and they were really, you know, crying and hugging the prosecutor when the jury came back and convicted her. So uh, there was quite a contrast between, you know, the relief that some of uh, Gladys Wakabayashi's family felt, you know, when that jury came back uh, versus uh, Jean James sitting there just really calm and emotionless. But despite the verdict and her stoic appearance, Jean Ann James had no plans of going quietly. She insisted she was innocent and denied any involvement in Gladys's murder. Jean appealed the first-degree murder conviction in January 2013. Her lawyer was seeking to have the guilty conviction overturned and a new trial ordered on the grounds that the trial judge should have excluded the Mr. Big confession. But after reviewing the details of the original trial, the British Columbia Appeals Court denied her appeal. Chief Justice Lance Finch stated, The evidence of the motive and opportunity, coupled with the detailed confession, formed an overwhelming foundation to base a conviction. I would affirm the verdict of guilt and dismiss the appeal. Justice Finch went on to note that Jean's confession to Mr. Big did contain key details about the murder and crime scene, which, when viewed as a whole, provided compelling evidence for the jury to conclude her confession was reliable. Jean and James would not receive a new trial and would remain in federal prison. In 2015, four years after her conviction, Jean Ann James was back in the news. The 76-year-old convicted murderer was petitioning the federal court to review the Fraser Valley Institution's refusal to allow private family visits in a house on the prison grounds with her husband Derek and her 35-year-old son Adam. The correctional institution had denied her request, stating that Jean James was too high risk for the potential of domestic violence. Their report stated, quote, Mrs. James can be volatile when angry, 
and she has allegedly been observed throwing things at her husband in a state of rage. In her appeal against their decision, Jean James stated, quote, I have never been involved in violence towards my husband or my son. My husband and son are the most important people in my life. I love them deeply and would never do anything to compromise their safety, let alone intentionally hurt either of them, end quote. After taking everything into account, the federal court noted that Jean wasn't addressing the biggest issue at the heart of her appeal, which was her refusal to seek help in prison regarding her poor attitude, volatile emotions, and damaged marriage. Since Jean had rejected specific programs at the Fraser Valley Institution to help her with these matters, the judge ruled that prison authorities were forced to consider her a high risk for violence. Her appeal for private visits with her husband Derek and son Adam was denied. In 1992, a shy, recently separated 41-year-old woman was looking forward to her future. Her two passions in life were her daughter and studying music. And there was a new love interest in her life. Although it was complicated, he was the husband of her friend, so she couldn't tell anyone about their affair. It was a closely guarded secret. But secrets have a way of being discovered, and when hers was revealed, she paid the ultimate price. She paid with her life. And then, another secret was born. A deadly one that would take 19 years to uncover. Jean Ann James and Gladys Wakabayash were an unlikely pair. One was the refined daughter of a Taiwanese billionaire, while the other, raised from humble beginnings, had worked hard to eke out a middle-class lifestyle. But the two suburban moms found common ground in their children, and a friendship flourished. And it was their trusted friendship that Jean and James eventually used to lure Gladys into a vulnerable position before cutting her throat. Jean felt confident she had committed the perfect crime, and with each passing year was certain she would never get caught. But then opportunity knocked, and the former flight attendant couldn't resist. She wanted more money and more respect. She deserved it. And with the unburdening of one deadly secret, she could prove that she was smart, loyal, and above all else, ruthless. Problem was, she also proved she was a murderer. Jean Ann James remains imprisoned in British Columbia. She will be eligible for full parole in the year 2036 
at the age of 97. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written by Kate Yorga and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.